Mom Jeans podcast. I'm Nicole. Shelby is not here today, so we are talking to Lori. Hello. <laughs> Hello. How are you? <laughs> Doing great. <laughs> we got to talk to you on the pod um, about kind of part of your professional experience, but you, during the pandemic or right before the pandemic, went into kind of the therapy realm like the real one during the pandemic so I started in August of 2020 hey that's when I got pregnant (laughs) I don't know why that's important for me to state (laughs) hey I mean dates come to mind yeah they do they Um, really do what made you what made you pivot is it because of the pandemic and you could do telehealth um, I know that happened with a lot of people or was there something else kind of bringing it? Um, it really was because of the pandemic. Um, I had honestly been attempting to get into um, pediatric oncology as um, wow, a medical a social worker. Yes, yeah. as a medical social worker. So it still would have been a lot of therapy, right? Like, it, yeah, maybe not in name, but that's what you're doing, right? You're helping oh, people yeah. navigate the medical system and providing a lot of family support during a difficult time. I um, always wanted to be a child life specialist, but you, oh, they really child. prefer you to have a, they really prefer you to have a different path of education and professional walking than I have had. And so yeah. like, I could have paid a lot to get those extra stuffs. Um, but then by then I had a family and I was like, it's right. <laughs> And when I had learned about that specific thing, it was like too late for me, (laughs) right? Like I was already like, well, social work's so open and I can move, you know, move around, which is not necessarily my goal, but I knew if I ever got, which is why I chose social work. If I ever got burnt out in a specific spot or with working with a specific population, I had the freedom to move somewhere else. And that was the whole reason I chose social work. Yeah. That's where I was too. Like child psychology, you can work with children in all of the different versions um right we used to we used to say at the shelter that if you got burnt out you could jump to a different trauma specialty right (laughs) and that's what it is right (laughs) yeah it's really sad but it's true like you can pivot you know if you can't handle any human trafficking cases right now pivot to domestic violence um or pivot you know around here so that you are using your skills you are still helping populations that need you but you yourself are no longer having dreams about it (laughs) right and that's I think it's so funny because people don't tend to understand the profession you're like well aren't you just burnt out of dealing with trauma and you're like oh no it's just this specific niche trauma like I could go over here and be just fine with this trauma exactly (laughs) I mean honestly that was where I was at right at the beginning of the pandemic because I had put in my notice and was leaving. My last day was March 13th and that was the day lockdown started. And I actually missed my last day because I got a fever and then I got COVID. (laughs) (laughs) I got COVID from one of my families and I got a call a week into having COVID and it was my my former boss who said one of your families tested positive for COVID. And I was like, I know, Mm. I know. I'm, I'm sick as a it. dog. There is no test right now. So then I had to like get approval for a test and all that stuff. But um, so you were going to be working in a hospital and then all the hospitals locked up. So you That's had. That's exactly to- like I was like mid hiring process. They were about to hire me. Oh. It was like in April and like COVID was already happening, right? Like the shutdowns were already happening, but it looked like 
they had already started the hiring process. It looked like things are going to be fine. And then it went into like a, a secondary kind of lockdown and of the yeah. hospitals were not going like it was when it was at the point where we knew, wait a second, this is going to last longer. Um, and Which is kind of heartbreaking because right. child, cancer, child cancer doesn't stop. Right. So you just stop having the professional there to help them with the child cancer. Yes. Right. So like <laughs> I, I wasn't even licensed in the state I'm living in. Right. Like I was finishing up. We were about to move. I was licensed in the state I was about to move to with the job I was wow. about to get. And then they called me and they were like, please apply again when we open this back up. We wow. just can't hire anyone. We have to shut down hiring right now. And so I kind of had to take some time and pivot to something else. And, you know, with the pandemic, it's also like, okay, well, what's even available? <laughs> exactly. I mean, that available? was where I was, was like, I can't, you know, I didn't want to be a licensed professional counselor. I wanted to stay in the field of advocacy and education but what can you do telehealth when you, because I mean, I'm immunocompromised. So it's like, right. I cannot go to an office and see people face to face. Like, it's just not going to be a good plan. And I can't be unemployed for multiple years. Hopefully not. So Right. Um, right. And, and at the course, time, like we had my yeah. mom living with us and she has MS. So then, yeah. you know, she's immunocompromised. And so I'm having to look at like, okay, well, I don't just need any job. I need a job to make sure that like I can protect her as well um, because I'm not going to bring that home. And she's a teacher and they were teaching, you know, over Probably. their computers at that point. Um, and we didn't know what the future was going to hold, but I wanted to make sure that I wasn't just exposing her. Right. And then we had a one and a half year old and I was pregnant. And so, you know, you have all those pieces on top of that, it was yeah. a lot <laughs> trying so, to find. I was thankful. I found telehealth. Like, I was able to move into therapy. And what was that process like having a little one at home? Did you want to work with parents? Did you want to work with whoever you were able to work with because it was a financial issue? Did you have a goal in mind of what kind of therapy you wanted to be doing? Yeah. Um, so I, I love working with teenagers. I like, they are just so fun to me. They're coming into their own, they're exploring the world. They have their own thoughts and opinions and they just want someone to listen. Like yeah. 90% of the time, they just want someone to listen. They're um, toddlers with context. And that's what I love about them. Yes. They have yes. the same creativity <laughs> and impulsivity, but they can communicate to you the why behind it. Right. And I, it's so fun. It's like reading fiction yes. books, but they're right? real people. <laughs> and I like, yeah. So like teenagers and young adults, I'm all about them. I am so like excited as they discover who they are. Like that is just such a fun, like it is not a fun time of life, right? Like most of us were miserable at some point trying to discover who we Amen. were. And I think that that's why it's like so fun to me because I'm like, you are getting to be the person you want to be. And I am here for that. And I know it's not fun, but you are discovering who you are. And um, so, but the big hurdle is not what population I want to work with. It's what my company allows me to work with, right? Because oh, they have a queue. Yeah. Especially with the pandemic, the list was miles long of people. Oh, who I believe therapy. it because we were trying to 
move and we needed to get my daughter, you know, continuity of care. And she had been with her same therapist for three years at that point. And so, (sighs) you know, he was highly invested in helping us find someone. And I was like, I hate to report every week to you that there are four month (laughs) waiting lists. So, I mean, we had to start in August and we weren't moving until January. Right. And we were like, please let us be on the list. (laughs) Put us on there and we're going to see which one of you we like, right? Because and that that is the big thing about therapy. like, And that's the way I always approached my clients is, you know, this, this may not be a fit. Like I might not be the right therapist for you. Yeah. And I think it was so important to teach, especially kids and teenagers, that they have that autonomy. Like, please know, because I think a lot of them are like, oh, I'm going to therapy and my mom said I had to or, oh, I want to go. But they don't know that they have the freedom to be like. I don't know that your personality is a fit for me or that this is working. And so I always encourage them, like, it's not, you have the freedom to choose who you want to work with. If you don't feel comfortable with me, you're not going to make any progress. And that's why you're here. Like, that's so rare because that's one reason that I wanted literally to start working for myself because in both the shelter, um, environment and the in-home services environment you are assigned cases even if you have specialties like I did really well working with suicidal individuals I did not do well working with aggressive individuals I had experienced an attack at one point um, early in my in-home services and so Mm -hmm. I was I was afraid of some of these children and that is not a good relationship like you cannot build trust with someone if you're flinching and it really I mean I would go and advocate of like it's not even that I want to switch for myself it's that this child deserves someone who can see them in a much more positive regard than I can right right and And so like like, that's uh, huge that you're teaching that at that age because I so completely wish that every provider had that conversation (sighs) And I think it's so important because, you know, what is the point of being there? What is the point of wasting their time and your time if they're not comfortable? And I don't know. It it was so vital to me that I set up parameters of safety so that they felt, you know, and I told them, I was like, this is not about me. (laughs) Like my feelings will not be hurt because, and it doesn't matter. Like my feelings will not be hurt. Because I want you to be in a place that you feel safest. And that's not about me. Like, that is literally not about me. It doesn't matter. It's not like, and it's about PSA, them and their ability to grow. And PSA, if a provider says that you're hurting their feelings by not wanting to work with them anymore, oh you've gosh. made the correct choice. <laughs> Congratulations. <not> <laughs> It's like, that is a big, I mean, uh, my daughter, when she went to college, transitioned therapy. And mm. I sat there the whole time, like, I swear to God, if her therapist says that, because her therapist had some weird boundary things. And and it, that's kind of, we moved to a more rural area. It was an older woman. You know, right. there was a there was a clash. My daughter does really well with male therapists. And we tried right. really hard to get her in with one. It was kind of a, you know, band-aid on a bullet wound. But um I was ready. I was like, if I find out <laughs> that you cross this boundary, I'm yes. coming for you. So I, yeah, I'm, that's such an important thing to teach your clients. 
Right. I love that. And I think, you know, as parents, that's an important thing to tell your kids too. Like, yes, please tell me if you do not feel safe or happy with this person, because there are other people out there and it may take some time. And if you want to stay with this person until we find someone else, that's fine. But I mean, that's yeah. so important to respect your child's feelings of safety, right? Like you wouldn't put yeah. them in a parking lot and when they're little and just be like, oh yeah, you're safe as cars are zooming yeah. around them and they're like, mom, I don't feel safe, right? Like, why would you do that yes. to them emotionally? Why yes. would you put them in an unsafe place emotionally? And so also I- what a great opportunity to model like for the rest of their lives, like the ending of relationships or the holding of boundaries, mm-hmm. you know, breaking up with a therapist is the ending of a relationship. It is breaking right. up. And so even if you don't feel like your child is at the place where they can have that conversation, bring them into the conversation. You know, right. I've always, I had so many, you know, when I, I, you know, I put in my resignation and so, and it was pre pandemic. So all of my kids got broken up with by me. Like I broke up with the moms. Right. I broke up with the families. <sighs> I was like, I am leaving. And of course it's a little bit easier right. when you're leaving the field because right. you can say, like, I enjoyed my time with you guys, but I'm leaving the field for personal reasons. Um, but right. even and then, I had like, that, which was nice. Yeah, having to switch, having to switch because of other reasons is ugly, right? Um, and can be really ugly. And I think bringing modeling that is really important. Even when I had right. parents who didn't do it correctly you as a professional have the opportunity to model it and so why wouldn't you want to do that with your kids and teach them how to do that as an adult because they're raising adults people right (laughs) I've always said that if you have a problem with Karens and you're an adult you need to take that to heart like start you know like the whole like you hate Karens thing like that's on the internet like I'm always like okay then here's your opportunity to change it. Like, right. you're a parent <laughs> now. Don't make one. Right. You know, if you have a problem, and this is as a mother of boys, and you have a boy as well, like, if you wholeheartedly believe that sexual assault needs to be ended in America, you're raising a child. Not only right. can you teach him to respect consent, you can also teach him to hold other men accountable. Oh, and man, we could have a whole conversation <laughs> on what I'm doing you know with what? my boy. <laughs> April April is sexual assault awareness. You're coming back. We're okay. doing it. <laughs> happening. I'm going to put it into the airwaves right now. This is happening. Yes. Um, because that is an important conversation. And I get really right. frustrated with people who are have both boys and girls and they teach their girls one thing and they don't do anything with their boys. And oh I'm just God. like, I will fight you. Um, in a non-violent educational way. I would right, say. exactly. Um, so anyways, back to you're working with, you're trying to work with teenagers. Obviously, you're getting handed off of the queue. What, what did that look like for you? Um, well, a lot of my clients were teenagers. I was very fortunate. So awesome. we, the company that I worked for also worked with the, um, online education system in Oklahoma. I have a question. I just heard your daughter. Do you need to pause for a second? Or are they okay? Oh, I know what it is. Sorry, the monitor is on. Oh, no, that's totally fine. I just was like, is there a smackdown happening at your house? No. (laughs) No, they're playing like hide and go seek or something. Um, Oh, right. 
it is nice when the older one can kind of I know. You know like we always have the conversation with my five-year-old of like if someone is bleeding you come running in here if yes. your brother turns purple you come running in here <laughs> if he steals your toy try some conflict management <laughs> right oh man I'm telling you we are working on that right now um, <laughs> sorry to but, interrupt you no you're good I'm glad thank you um no so a lot of I'm, I'm really fortunate in that we were working with the the school system online schooling system and so a lot of my clients were through that so I was getting a lot of teenagers I did awesome. get a few like little kids trying to do telehealth <laughs> And, oh my goodness. And had never done it before, right? Like, or teletherapy and had never done it before. And that was, that was so hard. Yeah. And, you know, they're not, and they're never, never in an optimal situation, right? Because they're five years old. They're being told to sit in front of a computer. And generally there's like 15 other people in their household walking in and out. <laughs> yeah. But also like from a, you know, 90s kid perspective. Here, talk to the lady on the internet about your problems. Right. Like, like it was very strange and it was very, it, it wasn't conducive. Like, no, it, that's, yeah. that's fascinating. That's super fascinating. Um, so. so as a parent, because this is where the water, rubber hits the road, the water hits yes. the road. Oh, interesting. <laughs> um, as a parent, you've worked as a CASA, you've worked as a therapist, You've worked as a teacher. If you could distill down wisdom, even for yourself as before you were a parent, or even as, you know, a professional for parents, or even veteran parents, mm -hmm. do you think that there is something that you would pass on? Oh, gosh. Um, Let's try. Uh, that's a really broad question. Let's try you with a six month old when your daughter was six months old. Is there something that you wish you could tell you previously? Uh, my goodness. I would say. Right. Like you're never going to be the parent you think you're going to be. Right. Like we yeah. all have this ideal imagery of the parent you're going to be. You're like, oh, when I'm a parent, you're going to do that. And I've never been the person that was like well when I'm a parent I'm not gonna do that like I mind <laughs> my own business for the most part so I don't really care what other people are doing um Valid. it was definitely just like I know I love my kids I know like there are certain things I want to do with them and certain traditions I want to have and this is you know like generally how I want our days to look and how I'm going to speak to them and yeah. I would say you're never that gonna change did that change from high school to as an educated professional? Because mine did. I mean, as in high school, I had this view of myself as a mother that was really radically informed as I went through college and learned more about psychology right. and learned more about trauma and learned more about, um, you know, just how children develop. But then right. in real world <laughs> practice as a professional, that even modified it even more. Um, and right. I would say, I would say the two of them really balanced each other. It was very much so a give and take of my perspective. Did you have that experience? Um, I think that that one's kind of hard to separate for me because I was a completely different person at that time. 
that's um, valid. <laughs> so it's kind of hard to separate like what I thought I would be as a parent, but I will say that even as a professional, maybe this is like an easier way for me to put it. There's a lot of stuff that I cognitively know that is difficult for me to put into practice. Because oh, real. <laughs> like so not real. only is it difficult for me to put into practice because it doesn't come to mind in the moment, but it's also difficult for me to put into practice because all of these ideas of what I thought I would be as a parent discounted the fact that I had to be an adult person who regulated my own emotions. <laughs> oh, there it is. And so there like right? So I think about all the time. Well, yeah, I could easily be that parent if I knew how to properly regulate all of my emotions all of the time. And so meaning that of, you weren't a human. That means right, you're not a exactly. human Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so I think it's one of those things where I kind of have to take though that into account, right? Like, oh yeah, I will I will respond calmly and you know talk this through. Like, um, oh, God bless her, my four-year-old <laughs> is just at a point where whining is like a big thing. Mm. And she has been a very like easy kid um so far. Um, and that is because she's a very lawful kid, right? Like if you tell her not to do something, she won't do it. She follows the rules. And so she's been very easy so far. So you gave birth to a small version of my sister. Yes. Yeah. And <laughs> even like a small version of me. Of yourself. Because you yeah. two are very, both you and my sister. And of course, we haven't clarified this on the podcast, but like you were roommates in right. college. Right. And like you are both very lawful individuals like you can yes. draw the line and you can stay in the line um right and so I love that you have created a small version of that but right. I can and also so, see where that's kind of hard right and it is like it's very funny because I feel like I fall somewhere between you and your sister oh, of, you like personality wise and so yeah but She's been so lawful, and then now she starts this whining thing, and I can't explain it to me. That is very sensory, like, overwhelming, and yeah. I don't handle it well. And so my reaction, because I don't know how to handle that, is anger, right? Like, Ooh, yeah. which is such a common reaction, right? Like, when we see that people don't know how to process something, anger is a very common side effect of not knowing how to process something. Yeah. And so... That has been very difficult for me because in my mind, right, like if I play back the situation later, I'm like, okay, well, I'll just be patient with her and weather the storm as she cries it out because that's what she needs to do. But as I'm sitting there in the moment, I just so desperately want it to stop that I'm trying to play logistics with a four-year-old whose brain is like very Not much in early development. <laughs> yeah. And so... It just doesn't work, right? Like, she is not accessed that part of her brain because she is in hysterics, how, whatever it may be. And it's totally understandable because she doesn't know how to manage her emotions. Yeah. <laughs> and then she has someone who doesn't know how to manage her emotions trying to handle the situation. And so yeah. I think so much of it is like, yes, I had this idealized version of parenthood that just completely neglected that I have feelings too. Yes. That's so real. And being triggered by your kids is such an important topic. And actually, um, so my sister, when she's back from her grand adventures, um, we do have an episode planned where we talk about um, elected trauma 
of parenting because mm-hmm. there is this dialogue happening right now where being triggered by your children is something that you have to honor within yourself, but also acknowledge that by stepping into parenthood, it is something that's going to happen. So your children right. are not attacking you, but you can still feel traumatized and attacked. And there's yes. this, you know, it's not on them and it's not necessarily fully on you. Like this is just a happening. It's occurring. And it's right. um, the term that we use so much in parent education is elected trauma, meaning you did choose this, but you also knew to some degree and maybe not very much how yeah. this could be a hard road. I mean, you hear people say all the time, like, are you sure you're ready to have kids? That's 18 years of your life. But the 18 years isn't necessarily the hard part. It's the the two hours a day where you can't get them to stop screaming and you're simultaneously worried about your eardrums busting and them hyperventilating. Right. And so you're like, please stop, 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 stop. And I, I love to look up um, another one of my really stupid hobbies is I love to look up like anthropologically how other mothers in like the animal clinic and the animal kingdom mm-hmm. handle it because whining is biological across baby mammals like they whine because they want you to fix something for them right but there are so many videos all you have to do is type in like mother gorilla snapping at baby or mother lion snapping (laughs) at baby like across the board adults get tired of children whining it's hard (laughs) it it is it's biologically ingrained in us to make the whining stop. And the idea behind that is you're motivated to get your child whatever they need so that they will stop whining. So like, hey, right. mom, you have to get off the couch to feed your baby. Hey, mama lion, you need to go get food to feed your baby. They're all right. whining because they need it. But also kids whine about the blue cup versus the green cup. And right. at that point, it's not a biological need. But they don't know right. how to communicate the difference between that. And so, right. you know, I think well, that's and I don't such even an think important... they fully understand need and want a lot at this. You oh, know, no. This yeah. Stage. It's just they just communicate everything. And I mean, it's, it's really, it's fascinating. Um, And I think that like from, again, like a mammalian thing, Mm. there is a, (laughs) there is a village, there's a unity across motherhood (laughs) in all of mammals, (laughs) which is like, please stop whining, tiny, tiny thing. Right. Um, Universal experience. What else do you want from me? Yes. (laughs) Exactly. But also, um, you know, you're right. Like that is such a big thing. And I'm glad that we're having so many conversations in like the parent sphere of like emotion regulation. And you're right. Mm -hmm. Like I have so many thoughts in my head at the beginning of the day of, you know, yesterday was a time change. I mean, I don't know when this episode's coming out, but yesterday was spring forward. We lost an hour of sleep. (laughs) We did. And I knew going into it, I had prepped other parents. I had prepared myself. I had talked to my husband. We knew toddlers are very, they they handle the time change poorly. They don't understand what's happening. You're attempting to keep some semblance of a routine, even if you're shifting by half hour or hour or whatever. They have circadian rhythms and the circadian rhythm has been changed because of stupid humanity. And I think it was Ben Franklin and we can blame him. But um, (laughs) we... You know, we still, my husband and I looked at each other 
30 minutes into a two-year-old meltdown about bedtime and finally dawned on us we were sending him to bed an hour early. <laughs> and of course he wasn't tired. Of right. course, his 8.30 here was 7.30 in his brain. Right. And he was like, what did I do wrong? Why am I going to bed early? I'm not oh. tired. I'm going to jump on the bed. And right. we were like, stop jumping on the bed. It's 8.30. You're going to be exhausted tomorrow. Your mom needs to get up and work. Your dad needs to get up and work. What are you doing? Right. Um. And he's like, and I don't know. I didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> my exactly. body just tells me to be awake. <laughs> and so we both, like my husband and I just had this moment where we looked at each other and we were like, time change. And mm -hmm. so literally we both sat down on the floor with him and we were like, you're right, buddy. It's not bedtime. We're going to try to do bedtime soon because now you've had a tantrum and you've worn yourself out. But you're <laughs> right. Let's sit down and read some more books because we right. have totally messed this up. And I think you know this as someone who's worked for so long in the mental health field. The repair is what matters. Yeah. The, the, the dysregulation is always going to happen. It is constant. You are always right. in a state of changing how you're able to regulate. But consistent repair is what I wish we could. That's the next step of this evolution. We are, we're right. getting parents to recognize, okay, you're dysregulated. You're triggered. This right. is happening. And that's okay. Like there's no, we're trying to get out of that shame cycle. Right. But, but the next skill has to be that consistent, clear repair with your child so that they understand that it's not necessarily their fault and also not necessarily the parents' fault. There's just a thing that happened and mommy is very sorry because mommy did right. not remember that there was a time change and that your body is on a different time than everyone else's. Because and you're that's a so like that's so important. I try and just have and those that's... real conversations with my four year old. Yes. Like I I made a mistake. I I should not have done that. I need to work. Like, I'm honest with her. I need to work on that. Like, yeah, there are certain times where I'm just like very clear with her of I need to work on that. And there are other times where I also have a conversation with her of like, okay, you know, this was both of us, right? Like, mm -hmm. I didn't regulate myself well, but you also didn't do the one thing I had asked you to do 35 times. Yeah. Um, and then you got in trouble for it. And so there's, there's definitely like a I try and help her understand my responsibility and my actions and her responsibility and, you know, how things can escalate or how these things happen. Because in reality, I'm not the only person she's ever going to be around, right? Like she's going to yeah. be around a teacher someday and she's going to push a teacher past the brink or her class will push her teacher past the brink. And so she still needs to understand how things escalate and her responsibility in that while... I acknowledge my responsibility and becoming dysregulated and losing it. Right? Like, can, I, can I tell you that um, we recently had a problem with our five and a half year old, almost six year old at school um, because he reported that a quote bad kid um, pushed him up against the wall and he did. He had a scratch on his cheek and we were like, huh? Okay. We'd like to know a little bit more about this. So we emailed the teacher. We were like, you know, because he split households, so I guess the teacher had communicated with his mother, who picked him right. up at the time. Um, 
And so we were like, we would like a little bit more context about what happened, um, especially because we really do not use the language bad kid. And that is right. something that his other household tends to do is they're kind of like, we've noticed before, like, oh, those are the bad kids on the playground. Or he'll say, like, I don't play with this person at school. They're a bad kid. We don't use any of that language. Right. And so we know that it's coming from somewhere else. Um, and so we kind of reached out to the teacher and the teacher was like, yes. Um, we did have a friend at school who shoved um, your son up against the wall. However, maybe a conversation can be had because what our child did was look at this child's lunch tray and go, Ugh, you're so disgusting for eating that disgusting food. You're oh gross. <laughs> and so no. then, <laughs> as parents, the conversation was... Get what you pay was, for, kid. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like, let's talk about a little bit of humility and accountability for our actions. Like, that kid stuffed you. And so then we got to have a secondary conversation of like, wow, it really hurt your feelings when your friend shoved you up against the wall. Right. But can you imagine that it also hurt his feelings because you gagged at his food and said it was disgusting? Right. <laughs> Okay, that is fantastic. And a good right? reminder that in some ways empathy is taught. <laughs> yes, exactly. And and I think like for me, oh my goodness, such an important thing because he does have some sensory stuff. He is really specific around food and he does make really bad comments about food. Like he will tell me regularly that the food I cook is disgusting and we have those corrective conversations, right. but sometimes... It's a little triggering for me. Sometimes he right. will gag at food. I sit in front of him and I'm like, you are, I, you have been screaming that you're hungry for half an hour. Here right. is food. Eat the food. <laughs> you know? Um, and so for me, it was a little validating because it was like, right. we're not wrong for the corrective action that we're taking at home. When we say, we don't talk to people like that. Right. You can say, no, thank you. You can say, I don't think I'm going to eat that right now. You can put it on your no thank you napkin because we do have like a little napkin that we put next to his plate. And we're yeah. like, you can put it on your no thank you napkin. But what you're not going to do is sit here and make gagging noises. You're not going to call people disgusting. You're not going right. to disrupt the meal at large. Yeah. Um, and so it was this, I hate to say it, but like I had a little moment where I was like, aha, I'm <laughs> no, not the only person. <laughs> yes. And it it's is. like, and then I take a step back and I'm like, but this is a five and a half year old who was shoved against a wall and that yes. would be frightening for anyone. So we're yes. going to, you know, we're going to comfort. We're going to talk about that. We're going to get a Band-Aid for your little tiny scratch. Um, right. And, you know, we followed up with the teacher of like, thank you so much for that context. That's really helpful. Um, you know, we are going to kind of correct the conversation around his friend being the bad kid because he's not a bad kid. He just right. reacted in the moment. And I well, think yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think we could apply that to ourselves as parents. Like we're not a bad kid or a bad right. mom when we have emotions. Um, and so neither are the other kids at school. And I do get right. up in arms about that sometimes with parents I work with who will use language like that towards children or will say like, well, that child yes. just hasn't been taught. And it's like, you're saying that you're acknowledging that the child does not necessarily have the onus on them to understand how to regulate or how to behave in public, but you're also right. blaming them. And that's yeah. a, that's a very two-sided thing. And I think as professionals, you and I have both probably seen that. 
Right. Where... And I think it's like, it's so interesting because I think talking about this, it reminds me that there are certain things where we tell our kids no once and they, it's done. Like they won't ever do it again. And we want everything to be that sprint, but there are so many things that are a marathon and it is tiring. And we view our kids, not all the time, but we give our our own children that grace. And who knows, that kid might have been told that might be his marathon, right? Like, don't Mm -hmm. shove people. We don't do that. Actually, the teacher came back and said, like... So we've been working on not putting our hands on others with that child. Right. Like this has so, and that's before. like, that's and his marathon. Was, and yes. so he's not a bad kid. He just has a different marathon than your child. Like he has a different yes. thing that he's going through. And I wouldn't say that one is worse than the other. I know that I have a couple of co-parents who would probably disagree with that. But um, for me, like they can both be as damaging. Like, right. Yeah. And there one are of different manifestations hands. sometimes of the same thing, right? Exactly. Dysregulation. <laughs> yes. And so, um, you know, even amongst co-parents, even with my, you know, my partner, uh, my husband, he is an amazing father, mm-hmm. but um, he can sit in the same room with one of our kids throwing a tantrum and not be bothered by it. Like mm-hmm. he has this incredible ability to just zone out and I'm like I will catch myself I will catch myself getting dysregulated of like why can't you make that stop and I know logically like he has probably checked that everything is safe he has probably checked that there's nothing he can do and he's probably just waiting a beat to see if they can use skills that we've taught them Um, because because often (laughs) often even just the two-year-old will tell you He'll like hit you and then he'll say, ow, sorry. And then he'll go no hit and he'll walk away. And you're like, you couldn't prevent yourself from hitting the first time, but you did the second time. right? <laughs> you did it. I um, guess. Yeah. You, you have the tools. We'll just wait until you start employing them before the action. <laughs> yes, exactly. My favorite thing is that he screams ow as he hits you. Um, it is not great, but he does. He goes ow and hits you as hard as he can. Um, and I'm just like, that is not how that works. But as he gets older and he learns the language for it, we can say, like, we don't ow people. Like, he doesn't know what right. hitting is. But he knows, right. like, oh, we don't make people say ow. Like, if right. someone's saying ow, you've done something wrong. Right. Um, and I think that's going to lay a nice foundation. I'm, I'm trying to remind myself of that. But here's yeah, one like, you'll, I feel like you'll, oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, no, I was just going to say, like, I think it's interesting how different things impact different, like, co-parents. And, like, yeah, even, like, I can almost become more triggered less by the tantrum, but more about how my husband's handling it better than Right. Because I'm like, <laughs> yes. my skin. Isn't that a fun part of co-parenting? <laughs> like, my skin is crawling. How are you sitting there? And it, like, right. it's almost, then I become dysregulated as a partner and as a parent. Right, right. And then you got to repair twice. Yay. Yes. Go team. <laughs> and I think, yeah, and that is also very important, right? Like if you want your relationship to last, you have to repair with your partner too. Like those are important conversations to have. Um, but I feel like you'll appreciate this. From when my four-year-old was itty bitty, um, she, we taught her to take deep breaths when she was upset. And when she was little, it always worked for her. She's four mm-hmm. now. Nope, no deep breaths now. <laughs> no deep breaths. She is like 
what right we're millennials right she's like this the emo kid (laughs) that just so deeply wants to feel her emotions (laughs) that like if you try and help her regulate it she like it's rejection she does not want that she wants to feel those emotions she wants that well deep and so it's really funny to me because i'm like i've taught you all the tools why aren't you using them right but i mean she's she's like i have the tools lined up on my shelf mom i'm not yeah she's like i have them i know i can do this i don't want to i want to feel and it's so funny because it's like we right like you and i have probably taught tools of emotional regulation from a much earlier age than a lot of people tend to start and that's just because we work in the field we worked in um but that can only get them so far and we can't deny them feeling their emotions right like I'm not trying to cut her off from feeling her emotions but that's how it feels to her um she wants to feel that she wants to kind of wallow in it and so it's really funny because I'm like I've taught you the tools why would you use them that's but, you know, so she's still her own person, right? Like, she still wants to do her own thing and feel the way she feels. And I find it so funny because I'm like, okay, well, why, you know, why did I even waste my time teaching a one-year-old this? <laughs> yeah. But that's so interesting because there is a dialogue right now in the parenting sphere where, you know, we're working on don't just say it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. When your child falls, let right. them have that. But there isn't as much of a dialogue of, like, let your child have their anger. Let yes. them be mad. You know, let your child um, squeal with joy publicly in a restaurant yes. because someone has handed them macaroni and cheese. You know, right. let your child cry in Walmart because they do want that toy and you have explained that they can't have it. And it is all right for them to be sad. Yes. And you Ugh. can say, wow, you're so sad. I'm sad. I can't get it for you right now. Um, And I think there is this, there's such a good conversation right now about honoring those feelings, but it is so hard to do in the moment. Right. And especially in a public setting with eyes on you. And I think, you know, especially, and I I don't think this is exclusive to the age of the eyes, (laughs) Um, (laughs) but especially, you know, depending upon the crowd that you're around and how old they are and. Um, I, I tend to let my kids feel how they feel. And if they're, you know, there, there have been moments where I felt a little bit of embarrassment because, you know, there are certain social situations where I'm like, okay, well, we need to be quiet now, or this is a place where we're front of grandparents. (laughs) No, no, I don't really care what they think. (laughs) No, no. Mine's like at the library where I'm like, no, you really can't do that. These are shelves we don't play on because they're big kid books. Right. And, or they're adult books. So why don't we go back over to the kids section? And then that causes a tantrum, right? Like the library is supposed to be a quiet place. I'm disturbing the peace at that point. And I am responsible for that little person. But at the same time, you know, so, and I think that that's where that good boundary setting is of like, okay, you are allowed to feel, but you have to remember that you can't make other people miserable. (laughs) And like, I I don't, it's, I don't know how to express it all of the time. Um, Like my, my four-year-old loves to cry as loudly as possible. And um, she's like, everyone needs to know I'm feeling this. She's a whaler. I'm communicating this. Listen here, people. She, she could be employed at funerals. Like if you need a whaler, I got you. Oh, Um, love that. 
but and which is fine until either I become dysregulated or like her brother's trying to sleep, right? Yeah, and those are times we've had that one. Oh. We've had that one, especially with like the military this last summer where my husband was gone for multiple months at a time. We would go and visit him on base, and like first off. Everything is under your husband or the military personnel's name. And right. second off, they can get write-ups for distur- your, their families disturbing the peace. And wow. so, like, you oh are gosh. prepped as a spouse. Like, And, of course, we do have a child who has sensory yes. um, issues. And then, of course, I also have a baby at that time. You know, I had a one-year-old right. at that time. And so we would have, like, overtired nap time in a hotel room with sensory dysregulation. Right. And we got... <laughs> We had to leave. I had to go sit in. Uh, I had to go sit in my car at one point because we had housekeeping knock on the door and was like, "I'm so sorry, but you have to leave the hotel because you could get your husband in trouble right now." Oh my god! And so, like, we spent like it on in July. We spent like three hours running the air conditioning in my car right. while both boys were just melting down, and we were. I was doing everything I could. But it was literally this really eye-opening experience for me about teaching your child to operate in society and what yes. that looks like. And I ended up adding <laughs> I ended up adding a whole section to my education course for that preschool age of like how can you have a conversation with your child about home rules versus society rules and right how to be true to yourself while also honoring society's rules, you know, like at home, we can punch a pillow if we're mad. However, if we're in a furniture store, they may not want you to punch their pillow. Right. (laughs) Like, you know, and that's a really small example, but you know, there's, there's something to that. You know, if we're, you cook with me at home, but we go out on a special occasion to some, for someone's birthday and we're at a hibachi place. That person is not going to let you cook with them. Right. <laughs> and you're going to have to respect that. <laughs> right. And so there's I love the library example because you're completely right. Like we are trained in our society. Libraries right. are quiet. You respect yeah. other people, even though every other person in that children's section of the library understands that children are children. And if they don't, right. they can get out. <laughs> right. But, you know, uh, we've had so many times where the librarian has come up to come up to us and said, it's okay. I know you're stressing about this. It's okay. And I love our right. librarian for that. Right. But we've had just as many times where somebody has been like, shh. Yes. <laughs> yeah. We're like, no. <laughs> Right. And I would say like my my kids are generally like I'm I'm very grateful that they are like lawful children, right? Like like I said. <laughs> and so I can get away with a lot. I'm I'm like mine very are, fortunate in that sense. Mine are tiny chaos demons. That's why I keep <laughs> them at home. That's what I always say. I mean, I hate like I don't really believe the angels demons uh right. conversation. <laughs> but I I have always said like my youngest in particular is a tiny chaos demon and that is just because like he is he just exists I mean he's a tiny Tasmanian devil and he gets it from me and his father he took the two chaotic parts of us (laughs) and put it together as his entire personality yeah um and because of that we are working on outlets of like we can't go to library story time right now (laughs) 
<laughs> right. But we yeah. can go to the playground and play with lots of other kids because right. we can be loud there, you know, and I think right. parenting in a lot of ways is guiding your child through those things because yes. eventually, yeah. eventually we are going to go back to the library, you know, right. We are taking a small break right now so that we can learn. But, <laughs> you know, when brother's here, he loves to go to the library. And right. so, you know, we are going to, we're not going to have one child's behavior prevent the other one. But at the same time, like, I love that you have two children who are relatively similar because I have three children who are 1000% different people. Um, And that is awesome. (laughs) But I like, I love it from a parenting education perspective, because I feel like I'm even more exposed to the ways that you have to parent different people. And, you know, it's, it's constant continuing education credits, but um, it is. You know, there's a there's this really interesting flexibility that you have to have as your child is learning how to be a person. I spoke to a parent the other day who was like, do all toddlers do this? And I was like, yes, because and, and they were like, they were like, why? And I was like, your child is a year and a half old. They are an alien on this planet. They are an alien. They are a small human. Yes, but they don't know how to be a small human. They are an alien who hasn't even been walking half their life, hasn't even been eating real food half their life. Like they're not only is we talk so much about brains not being properly formed and developed yet, but like even your regulatory system, your sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous systems are part of your brain, but also all of your nerve endings aren't, those aren't used to things. You know, that's why children are so susceptible to cold and hot and things like that, because your nerves and your muscles and your skin. And um, I always like to remind that I have a friend who's a NICU nurse and she always talks about like explaining to parents, like, don't put a bandaid on your neonatal's skin like your newborn cannot have regular adhesive band-aids because their skin is brand new to this world um and I think applying that in so many ways to behavior and to parenting is so important like your your child has only existed for two years and for us as parents of kids who are about to have their second birthdays like wow they've been here for two years this is so big they're big boys they're not babies anymore but they've only existed for two years. Can you imagine, like, as someone who's been a, yeah, as somebody who's been a therapist and giving advice, do you trust someone who says, I've been working in the field for 10 years or I've been working in the field for two years? You know, like, if you had a choice. And so there is this beauty to just acknowledging, acknowledging your little child alien and how they're learning about society and themselves and I think that's so it's weird man it's really weird I know I feel like the greatest thing um well I was thinking like you you said yours are chaos agents and I'm like oh my kids are so lawful good um one I don't think that that's because of me I think that's just their personalities oh yeah it's ingrained it's 100% ingrained this is who they are right now and I think it's really funny it's really easy to get a sense of like pride about that. But one, you didn't do that. That's just how they mm-hmm. came out in a lot of ways. <laughs> but yeah. I think also like you have to stay humble 
because guess what? I really think, and I've heard a million parents say this, oh, they were such an easy baby and the hardest teenager. But my one that was a difficult baby was the easiest teenager. And who knows? Like, who knows how they're going to turn out? But I think... I always think that that's a parenting thing. If you learned how to manage a difficult toddler, you know how to manage a difficult teenager. If you did not learn your own regulation and parenting skills during the toddler phase... Because I will, having worked with both populations for so long... Toddlers and teenagers are exactly the same. You will yes, never yeah. convince me. You will never convince me that they are not. They are learning well, about society in different ways. you had a slow, easy ways. ride, right? Like yeah. you had the opportunity to learn, but you, you may not have known was an opportunity to learn yeah. because your kid was so easy. And then all of a sudden when they stop, like, and I think the big thing is, why are they lawful good? And at what point do they start exploring that they don't have to be? Yeah, and that's if a, you've that's a been, good way to do it. If you've been cruising because they have been good and easy, then all of a sudden, when it hits that they now have their independence and can choose mm-hmm. to not be as lawful as they were before, it when that hits at the same time and you've been on cruise control, I don't yes. think a lot of people know how to handle that. <laughs> and so it is one of those well, like, stay humble and make sure that you're still thinking about things. Well, and I will always be thankful for my period of time in, in home services because that's what that was. It was parents who had been, you know, we had kind of frequent flyers, for lack of a better term, who we saw, you know, right. several times because their child had a disability or because they themselves needed extra help or because right. there was court involvement. But we also had some cases that were referred from the hospital or from the police. And this was the very first time that their child had ever done anything or had right. ever had anything happen to them. And so many parents were confused that my job was not to teach their child skills. My job was to teach them how right. to parent their <laughs> child through this. And that is I the, t- the amount of times I answer the question, what is a parenting coach? Um, and have to remind parents that you're not, you don't get a manual. There is not someone who takes a child out of your body and plugs in a USB and suddenly right. you have all of these skills. <laughs> it is a constant practice. Like you yourself said, you know in your brain what you're supposed to do. You know, right. we we sat in college and took these tests. Right. We know what this is supposed to look like. Right. But putting it in practice in the moment your brain is not flipping through, you know, social psychology of children or right. how do I, you know, how do I recognize what's the difference between a tantrum and, you know, a, a dysregulation as far as if you define a tantrum as like just right. controlled, um, which that's a whole other conversation. But, right. <laughs> you know, I think I think one of the most important perspectives as a parent is that you have only been a parent as long as your child is alive right? and giving yourself that grace. You know, if you have a two-year-old, you have only been parenting for two years. You are not expected to be an expert. However, you are expected to continue to practice, to continue to show up, to continue to meet these challenges. And keep Um, learning. I feel like the baby book phase ends immediately, like before after the baby's born. Please keep learning. (laughs) I am trying so hard to find the time. And I know that's laughable. I'm finding, I'm trying so hard to find the time to do 
like parenting book, like almost like shrink downs. One of my favorite things that I did was um, how to listen or how to talk so kids will listen and listen so kids will talk, which they now have the little kid version of, which I am beyond excited. Shelby's reading it right now. Um, But it's for kids who are under the age of six. And um, I love that book. I go back and reread that book. Like I go back and distill that book down. If we have someone who's going to take care of our children, I have a little printout of like, here's what I would like you to read. It's only one page, but here's what we know works with our kid. You know, Sometimes parents get made fun of for that. Sometimes parents get made fun of for, you know, bringing out a binder and saying, here's how to take care of my kid in the way that suits their needs. Right. But I would almost rather have that conversation with a parent who knows that than one who's like, I'm going to follow my instincts. Because the truth is, your instincts can betray you. Yeah. Your instincts can absolutely betray you because the amount of times that my child has scratched or bitten my breast while I was breastfeeding, my instinct is to throw that child. Uh, yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. You can't listen. You cannot listen to your instincts in that moment. It will right. lead you to a bad path. You know, you have to halt every instinct you have to yeet that child. Right. Um, because, and, and I, I wish that there were so many more conversations about that because The truth is that in the old days, and I know I have to let you go soon, but in the old days, there is this conversation of like, oh, you guys have all this newfangled books and all of these conversations and courses and things like that. But but children learned how to parent at the knees of their parents. We had villages. You had older siblings who parented and were at your house regularly who you could see parent and you could make a choice. No, I don't think I'm going to do that. I don't think I want to do it this way. I love that you did that that way. Why do you do it that way? There was so much more communication. The concept of the village around like postpartum is a really great conversation. But the part, the concept of a village as a younger member of society is incredibly important. Um, Around confidence, you know, my daughter just got a job being an overnight nanny. And I thought when I, I had a mom friend reach out and I thought when I offered her that job, it was going to be a cold no. Absolutely not. You cannot pay me enough to sit in a room, sit in a house with these children overnight. That's too much responsibility. And she goes, well, it's not any different than being in the house with my brothers. Right. She's like, I mean, I know you guys are there. She's like, but I've handled it before. You know, um, she's woken up with her brother before when she's the one that heard him first. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, there was this beautiful moment where he fell down the stairs. Um, and he wasn't hurt at all because he had his comforter around him. Um, so he was trying right. to walk down the stairs with his comforter. And so he rolled down the stairs. But, you know, she experienced that very critical um, moment of observation where she saw us panic. She right. saw us regulate ourselves. She saw us do an assessment of triage. Is he injured? What happened? What does he need? Right. Do we need to call the doctor? Do we need to go to the You know, kind of this flow chart that as practiced parents we know to do and it boosted her own confidence of like I think that I can handle these types of situations as they come instead of being paralyzed in fear Um, and I I so wish that people who kind of neg um, you know parenting courses and parenting education and parenting books and things like that I so wish that they could remember 
that historically we had education. We've right. always had parenting education. The difference is now that often it has to come from outside the family. And that's right. okay. And we have to be self-educated in a way we've never had to be before. Exactly. And self-supporting. So. And, and that leads into a whole conversation around self-awareness. You have yeah. to know when you have to ask for help. You have right. to know. Yeah. Um, and so anyways, I know we both, it's lunchtime. I got to get some lunch on the table. And I know that, <laughs> I know you've got little ones needing your attention, but I thank you so much for talking with me and um, yeah. filling in for, filling in for <laughs> sis. I know that she's going to be having a fun time, but uh, yeah. you're a really good mom and you're a really good social work therapist professional thingy that you are now <laughs> as you move into next phases. Yes. Thank but. you so much. And you're a really good mom. Bye. Enjoyed doing this with you. Bye. <laughs>